Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Awesome. Are you guys ready? You guys are sounding like you are having a great time worshipping. And I really do believe that God is wanting to do something very special. Uh, And I I don't know, I think it's something... um, about worship in the life of our church that we are going to be discovering. And that's why we, we have put in for an upper room because I just sense that as we gather together in worship, it's going to really do something. Uh, and we're just going to be able to, to move into a, a different space. And God's really, as I've been getting ready for it, God's been putting certain verses on my heart. And do you know that in the Bible it says, sing, sing a song, sing hymns to one another. Many, many times. And, you know, I'm wondering whether we have caught on to the importance of actually gathering together and singing songs of worship and praise and how that actually changes something on the inside of us. And um, my assistant was a little bit slow this morning. She's just too in love with God to worry about what Nate wants. But anyway, so that's on the 7th of April, and um, today is the last day of Untangling Emotions. I have got mixed emotions about this because I have really enjoyed the series, but it's always nice to uh, get to the uh, end point in a series because I hope that you have gotten something really helpful for you. Uh, obviously, the whole series is available on podcast. You might need to refer to that because uh, we're going to be just breezing through some of the concepts that we've been unpacking over the last couple of weeks. And next week, Pastor Beck is taking on a two-week series called The God Who Cares. And uh, I'm really excited for that. I, uh, as we were talking and, and um, discussing you know, where we're going as a church, it really feels like what God has put on our heart will really flow on from what we've been talking about. You know, we've been talking a lot about our emotions and all the underlying stuff. And sometimes in the midst of all of that, you can kind of question where God is. And you can kind of question uh, who God is to me. Does he really love me? And all of that. I know that Pastor Beggs is going to do a great job uh, unpacking the Bible and um, showing us all of that. But today, we are going to be finishing off our series and we're going to talk about Breaking controlling emotions. Breaking controlling emotions. Now, this is the last time I get to draw this. And so this is the model of where our emotions sit that I've been talking about for uh, the last month, really. And so we talked about how we have our emotions. And um, we also thought, uh, talked about our thoughts. And how these two feed into a sense of who I am. And that leads to the behaviors that we produce. Does this look familiar to everyone and anyone? Yes? Cool. And we talked about how our emotions draw from this thing that we call values. We unpacked that uh, the values are not necessarily always good things, even though it, it, it talks about a value. But a value to us is just a pathway, a habit, a mindset, something that we are used to, something that has worked for us up to this point in time. And so that's why we hold it as important. And then we also spoke extensively about how the spirit feeds into our emotions and our thoughts and ultimately wants to come into our values. Does that all make sense so far? Today I want to talk uh, about what happens um, when we lose control. Has anyone ever heard this phrase, I've, I just lost control. I lost control of my 
emotions of my and, and that's the, the crazy thing that our society calls it I lost control of myself and I did something well more than likely you lost control of this thing called your emotions it was a in the heat of your anger you did something uh, that was not very thought through does that make sense and that is exactly what happens when we have these um, losing control moments in our lives what happens is that we are saying that in this moment the whole of me comes down to what my emotions are saying and so my behaviors are completely predicated upon what i am feeling and even my thoughts becomes completely consumed by what my emotions are telling me to be thinking about we talked last week about how uh, emotions uh, give us a focus, right? Do you remember that? Emotions give us a focus, something to pay attention to. And that is how emotions can control us because what it, it says is that you need to act exactly the way that I feel. And then it says to our thoughts, in the way, this, this part's quite interesting, because in the way that our, our thoughts are actually activated, first and foremost by our emotions and so when emotions are very strong our emotions only give us certain memories certain things that we have learned certain things that we know uh, and it says chew on these things alone and so we lose sight of every other thing that we have learned and every other thing that we know because our emotions have narrowed our vision and that's why when you sense that you are losing control, you, you will notice that your thought patterns become very predictable and very narrow. You will always act out in that kind of a way when you lose control. But some of you can think about it this way. When you're angry, what do you do? When you feel hot anger rising up in you, what do you do? Or maybe you can think about when you are fearful, what do you do? When you're anxious, what do you do? What are the thoughts that run through your mind? What are the behaviors that you reach for? It's because you haven't uh, uh, gotten to a place where there is a healthy dialogue between your emotions and your thoughts. You haven't got to a place where you are allowing other things rather than just your emotions run your life. There's a little bit of a misconception about controlling emotions though, in that we think that controlling emotions um, are, are always going to lead us to really hot behaviors. You know, like lashing out in anger, saying something that you are going to uh, really regret or, 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 you know, yeah, all that kind of stuff. But the thing about controlling emotions is that they're basically any emotion that we don't know how to handle and we don't know how to bring into a place of health. There are no bad emotions. And we've been talking about this. God has made us with emotions. Every emotion has a certain function, but they need to be in their rightful place before its function truly brings us life. And so anger has a function. It lets us know that we believe that something is not right. Anxiety has a function. It tells us to be prepared because something down the track could be dangerous. Worry has a, a similar kind of a function. Sadness also has a function. Sadness lets us know when we have lost something important. Without sadness, we don't know what is important to us. That's on the flip side of it. And at the same time, we talked about how happiness as a positive emotion isn't always positive. We talked about how people can search out happiness and be trapped in very toxic behaviors. 
And so what we need to understand is that controlling emotions come both hot and cold. Uh, controlling emotions can lead us to do really rash things or it can cause us to avoid things. And the other thing that I just want to point out very quickly is that when we talk about these uh, controlling emotions, um, we need to go a little bit deeper. Because what often happens is that our primary emotion, the first emotion that we experience, can sometimes be very scary to us. So some of you might have realized this. This is actually quite true of myself. I used to have a very hot temper. And that hot temper actually got me a little bit scared to be angry. Because I knew that with this hot anger, I would do things that I would not be proud of. And so what I would then do is that I had a secondary emotion. And what I would do is that I would suppress because of the fear of what this emotion would be like. And, and, and we're going to talk about that in, in deeper detail a little bit later. But I just want to show to you that emotions can, we're talking about the primary emotions. The first emotional experience that you have, and let me tell you, most of us don't even know that it's there. Most of us don't even know that that primary emotion is something that we have experienced. And we're going to unpack this a little bit later. But I just want to run through a couple of passages uh, in the Bible that we talked about. In 1 Peter 1, 13 to 14, we, we used this last week. Uh, Peter says, so think clearly. And we said that meant gird the loins of our mind. Remember, we showed that picture of a guy with a very long rope and how he would bring it and gather it together so that the person could actually get into action. Yes, so girding the loin of your mind and exercise self-control. That's exactly what we're going to talk about, what self-control looks like. Um, and don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know better then. I put forward to you, that some of us still don't know better, and that's why we still have these controlling emotions. And what I'm hoping to do is that today there will be a sense of, I want to know what is better. And that comes from Romans 8, 5 to 6. We talked about this as well. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is Life and peace. Who wants life and peace? Who wants to truly experience life and peace running through every facet of your life? Then we need to set our minds. We talked about the importance of our minds, of our thought process, and how the Spirit gives us this new truth that we need to chew on. But what I want to uh, talk about today is that we need to get to a place of self-control and setting our minds which is very difficult when you have these controlling emotions. Am I right? I know for myself that sometimes I know a deep truth that comes from the Bible, that comes from the Word of God, but there's still these emotions that I am not fully in control of that leads me to still do things that I'm not proud of and I don't want to do, but it's because maybe at some level I haven't actually allowed these things to sink in. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about three value shifts that I personally, in my journey, have needed to make. And why I want to share these three value shifts with you is because I want to help you to understand how to see and recognize the values that are running your life. Does that make sense? All of us have values that are running our... You guys are really quiet this morning. Either I'm a terrible lecturer or this is, I'm really good. I don't know. 
I'm a bit scared about this. Feedback. If you get this, say yes. All right, so I want, uh, I want to talk about this so that you can see how to evaluate these values that are running your life. Every single one of you have got values that you are living out. Some of you think that your values um, are all good because it's led you to a place of success. I want to show you how some of these values for me brought me success but not health. And I want to show you how the Spirit of God has been working in me and continues to work in me in these value shifts. I want, because as I was thinking about this week and tying it all together, I realized that this model is all good and well, but we don't know how to use it. If we don't know how to evaluate our minds and our thoughts and our values, we actually are not going to get anywhere. And I'm, so I'm going to be quite honest and vulnerable and open about my journey. And, and I hope that that's going to help you evaluate yourself. So don't just take this as one of those messages where Nate tells a whole bunch of stories. Take this as a way of going, can I trace, can I use a similar kind of way to trace what is truly deep within me in order that I can find life and peace. You ready to go? First one, the first value shift that I personally needed to make. Let me just say, I believe that all of us need to make these shifts. I'm going to leave that to you to work out which shift to make. But these are ones that I really believe that if everyone get a hold of, you're truly going to experience life uh, in a very different way. The first shift that I needed to make was moving from control to trust. I needed to move in the, my values from a place of control to a place of trust. You see, I did not know that I had a control issue until about a decade ago. In fact, I thought that all I was was well-planned. You know what I mean? And, you know, sometimes our schooling system and our well-meaning parents tell us that we need to have these plans, and I had all of those plans. I, I made sure I got them all down, and I just thought that I was well-planned. And what I recognized, like how this happened was that I, I would really think about, you know, in, in one year, this is where I'm going to be, this is what I'm going to do, da 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 And I, I didn't notice until a bit later as I evaluated myself, but if there was a situation I was not in control of, I would not approach it. And so it wasn't just that I was well-planned, it was that I needed to be in control. I needed to sense this control about my life, about how this situation was panning out. And when I was not in control, these emotions would erupt inside of me. No one knew that these emotions were erupting because I would keep a straight face. Why? Because I needed to be in control. Make sense? following me. So no one knew that I was struggling when I, I was feeling intimidated. I was feeling scared. In some situations, I was feeling hopeless and helpless. And all of these things were erupting inside of me. And what would then happen because these emotions were so strong, because they came from a deep value of needing control, I would manipulate. I would manipulate people to get them to a place where they would agree with me. I became a very good debater. I, I, I saw this when I was like 12 years old. And I went. Uh, 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 I remember sitting in a uh, in a room with a couple of my my um, youth leaders, and we were just chatting. and And the conversation was going, and it was all nice and well. And I felt the need to start a debate. 
a stupid debate, a debate that meant nothing. But I needed to do that. Why? Because I needed to show that I was intellectually superior, that I was in control of this situation, and I needed to feel like I had something to hold on to. And so when I came into an experience about, like I mentioned, a decade ago, and I learned that I wasn't really in control of anything, guess what happened? I did not know how to react. I tried to manipulate, and there was nothing I could manipulate. I tried to plan stuff out, and I was like, I don't know what to plan because I don't know what is happening right now. I have got no grasp on the situation. My emotions were all over the place, and I didn't know what to do because God had brought me to a place where he was like, so you think you're in control, do you? You think that you know how the, the solar system moves in perfect synchronization so that the tides come and they go and, and, and there's enough oxygen in the air for you to live. You think you're in control. Well, you don't know anything. And guess what? I saw in myself a reaction towards God that scared the living daylights out of me because I said, I don't trust you, God. If you don't give me control, I don't trust you. And as I looked at that statement, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. How many of us are living our lives with this sense of, I need to be in control? With this deep value of, I need to be in control. That in every relational situation, I need to be in control. In every project or opportunity that you have coming in front of you, I need to be in control. See, that was me. And so when I saw a verse like Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, famous verses, many of you have heard it, and it says, Trust in the Lord of all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Guess how I saw this through the lens of my control. I saw this as if, if I trust God, then... He will bless me. You might be like, yeah, so? Hear that again. If I trust God, then He will bless me. I thought that God was trying to be controlling of my life. I thought that God was the control freak. And when I think that God is a control freak, my reaction to Him is, I'm a better control freak than you are. And so it becomes a battle of control. When after searching scripture, it has never ever been based on the principle of if I trust God, then he will bless me. In fact, the pattern of scripture as I started to find is God has blessed me and he continues to bless me. Even when I stuff up, even when I get things wrong, even when I think the most obscene thoughts, even when I do things that I'm not proud of, even when I feel dirty and broken and when I think that he has got no right and no reason to love me the way that he does, he continues to bless and therefore I will trust the Lord. See, I didn't know how to trust God because I didn't know that He had already blessed me. I didn't know how to love God because I didn't know that He really, truly cared for me. I didn't know how to trust God because I didn't know how to see the blessing that He had poured over me. When you have a lens of control over your life, a value of control, you will think that you made everything good happen to you. 
And you will think that bad stuff happened because of other people. Just as I did 10 years ago, I was like, God, you did this to me. After a few months of searching, I was like, I did this to me. I didn't want, I slapped God's hand away time and time again, and that's why I am in this situation. I needed to shift from a place where my core value was one of control, and I needed to learn how to trust. Let me tell you, this is not easy. It's still not easy. God brings new opportunities my way, and I can sense this control value coming out and say, Nate, you don't want to do that. You don't know. You don't know whether you got control over the situation. So what I have had to do in breaking and shifting this value is that I needed to choose out of my new value, thinking things through, preparing myself for it. Let me give you an example. I'm sitting with the state executive. I've been on for about six months now, although I've been on for much longer uh, in a non-official position. Uh, but now that I'm official, they actually give me work to do. And um, so that's, that's a bit of fun. And um, so one of the things that they've started, and I've seen this happen, uh, like I mentioned, I think I'm the second youngest uh, executive member, and a lot of our pastors are a lot older than myself. And one of the things that we do is that we check in on other pastors, and we make sure that they are doing well, and, and sometimes even supervise some of the pastors that have just started on their journey. And some of them are starting on their journey a lot later uh, than myself, and, and so... Uh, sitting on this exec, Pastor Joel says to me, Nate, I think you'll be great at following up this pastor. I'm like, uh-uh, they're older than me and they're Asian. So for those of you who understand Asian culture, you know I'm not in control of this situation. <laughs> because even if they are five years older than me, they'll be like, who's this young punk that's trying to tell me what to do? I was scared stiff. And so I'm in this room, I'm like, oh, no. No, Pastor Joel, you don't understand. There are 50-year-old Asian men. They do not want this 33-year-old coming to them to tell them how to run their church. Where did that come from? The need for me to control the situation and be in control. I was scared. And so I needed to make up my mind, even though that emotional reaction was very real, very strong. I said, yes, I'll do it. Has it worked out? I don't know. It's been like a month in. Because they're Asian, they're still polite and nice. And so they're like, yes, pastor, yes, we'll meet. And then we never meet. And then uh, and on and on it goes. But what am I doing? I'm not worried about, I'm not going to focus on control. I'm not going to make that my core decision-making function. I'm placing it in what God has called me to do. I'm placing it in trust rather than in control. And so I say yes to stuff that still scares me, but it's coming from a place that I know is going to ultimately bring me life and peace. I'm not making decisions based on how I feel now. I'm making decisions based on how I know I will be in the future if I continue to walk this out. My emotions are going to come in alignment one day. One day when Pastor Joel says, look after that 65-year-old Asian pastor guy that, 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 that needs supervision, I'll be like, yeah, easy. Come on, bring it on. I'm not there yet. I'm going to continue to act out of a space, a space of like, God, if you call me here, you're going to gift me. You're going to grace me for what I'm about to do. Some of you are still living according to an old way, and you know that God has called you into something bigger. But because you've got no control over that situation, you haven't changed and you haven't done anything about it. Make the shift 
from control to trust. And there's a second shift that I needed to make that is very similar to the shift. And that shift is one from guardedness to openness. I needed a shift from guardedness to openness. And why I needed to make that shift is because as much as I didn't really trust God, I actually didn't trust people. I didn't trust that people were truly for me. A little while ago, Beck and I um, were watching this series, a very deep, very meaningful series on Netflix. It's called Rescue Kittens or Kitten Rescuers. Brilliant show. So good. It's on Netflix. And um, there was this um, story about a cat that had gotten a cut on, on her um, paw pad. And so there was this cut and it was getting infected and the pad was really thick and yucky and oozy and pussy and gross, right? And um, this RSPCA uh, officer gets this cat, cat and brings it to the vet. And what happens is that they wanted to examine this to see if there was something more than just an infection or where the infection was. What were they trying to do? They were trying to help. Yep. They were trying to bring wholeness and healing to this cat. What did this cat do? <laughs> the claws out. And if anyone knows what cat's claws are like, they are sharper than any butcher's knife that is found on the face of the planet. It's crazy how this, 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 this living thing is also a killing machine. And so what these vets had to do is to put it to sleep. Why? Because when it was asleep, it wouldn't be able to guard itself. And when it's not able to guard itself, it is then open for examination. The cause of the hurt is now found, and healing can then come in. The problem with us human beings is that no one has a right to put you under. A lot of our lives would be a lot easier if I could shoot an emotional tranquilizer that allows me to evaluate what is going on in your heart. Honestly, I would just shoot you where you are so that you would stop crying and being guarded and being like a terrible person so that I can say, let's see what's really going on under that. See, I had this problem of being guarded. I had this value of being guarded. It truly was a value. And this is how I discovered it. I discovered that I thought that I was being strong when I didn't feel. Because of life and what was going on, I thought that if I felt anything, if I felt sad because of what someone did, if I was happy because of what someone did, if I... It reacted in any way, it meant, and this came back to the control thing, it meant that my life was in someone else's hands. And so I look back and I'm really, really disappointed in how I, I went because I think that I, I would have had a very different relationship with, um, um, with, a, with a friend at a younger stage because when I was in Singapore and I was in this church, it was a new church to me, we had just moved there, and I was a really quite a quiet person and my sister would go around make friends with everyone and I, I was just tending to be quite reserved but this guy his name was Paul and he came to me and he was like hey um, you know he really didn't leave me alone 
He just kept talking to me every week, and he just kept spending time trying to talk to me. He tried to find my interest. He tried to understand where I was coming from. But inside of me, I was always like, I will only let you in this far. And a, a little while later, he, he explained to me that, yeah, he just felt that God had put on his heart to, to try to reach to people that, that were really guarded. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I didn't really understand how much my guardedness pushed him away after time. As much as I would, to this day, consider him one of my closest friends growing up, in my teenage years, in my formative years, he was one of the great influences on my life. But I realized that he was never allowed in to truly know who Nate was. Does that kind of relationship characterize the way that you work? Is there a sense that if you allow anyone to see what is inside, that you might need to then run away? See, in James 5.16, it says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And I, I used to think that this verse meant that um, we needed to build a confessional booth in our church. You know, where there is anonymity. No one knows who's coming in. No one knows what is set in the box. Someone might know and spot you walking out, but they don't know how to attach the sins to you. And then I realized that I don't think it's so much the things that you've done wrong that James was talking about as much as he was saying the values that are broken. The deep, intimate stuff that is deep within us that most of us don't take time to consider, to articulate and to see that it's truly there. See, I believe that James is talking about the kind of community that we are meant to be in, where we are not afraid of letting people know our wounds. Why? Because you will be healed. When we walk around with our church armor every Sunday, no one knows who the heck you are. I only know an image of who you are. And the honest truth is that as much as we want this open, loving, beautiful community, it only happens when people are open and vulnerable with each other. But we are so scared of being seen as less than, and we compare ourselves, and we have got these broken mindsets of how we are supposed to look like, that when we open up, we are scared that we are not quite there yet. And when we are scared because we do actually realize that we've got these deep wounds inside of our soul and inside of our heart, and we go, because of these wounds, I am less than, and we start to cover it up, it begins to fester. It begins to just grow in ways, and then your emotions go out of control. You deeply desire connection, but you're scared of people. You're scared of anyone coming close. And so you try to reach for these deep relationships, but you never let anyone in. How is this supposed to work? Dysfunctional relationships. That's what dysfunctional relationships look like, where you're meant to be in deep connection and intimacy with one another. The way that the Bible describes intimacy is not sex. Intimacy is vulnerability. It's that sense of I am open with you and I'm not scared that you are going to use that to hurt me. I did not know that. 
I thought that simply attending church was good enough. But I had to learn how to open up in order for life and peace to enter my soul. The final thing that I needed to shift in myself was a shift from achievement to growth. I needed to shift from a value of achievement to a value of growth. And why this one was important to me was because very much linked to the other two values. And that's the complicated thing about values. We try to boil it down to one statement or one word, and yet they're all connected, and so it gets complicated, and sometimes we don't take the time to untangle what is going on. But my value of achievement came from my value of control and my value of guardedness. So I will only open up if I've achieved something. Oh, look, I've got a trophy. Now I'm going to let you in. Because you're going to like that. Oh, shiny. I'm going to distract you with my shiny new trophy that I have just won so that you can see that. But you're not really seeing this. See, I, that, that, that was the value. And I, honestly, a part of it was that I grew up in a culture where you needed to have something in order to present that you are okay. See, I went to a primary school and I had a good friend, a really good friend. His name was James. And uh, we had grown up from kindergarten, and then we had gone to primary school together. And uh, we were both smart kids, and we were both uh, doing really well. And then in, in Singapore, I think it's primary four or primary two. I can't remember which one it was. It's a long time ago. And um, we would do this examination that would split us into streams, right? So we split us into streams. And um, you could go into the top stream where all the top students go, or you go into the second stream where all the normal people go, or you go into the third stream, all the stupid people go. Oh, that's the way that Singapore puts it. It's really quite brutal. And um, I scored well in all the tests except my Chinese test. I hate Chinese. Not the people, the language. I can't read it. I can't make sense out of it. And even at that age, even growing up in Singapore, having studied it, uh, studied it for like 10 years, I was still hopeless at it. Whereas James was an all-rounder. He did well in everything else. I think I did better than him at some of the other subjects, but in Chinese, I basically scraped through, whereas he did really well in it. And so he got into the top stream, and I got into the second stream. Because Singapore is weird like that. You could be the best at chemistry, but if you don't know Chinese, you are average. Uh. All the Singaporeans understand where I'm coming from. You feel my pain. My relationship with James changed drastically from that point on. It changed dramatically. We used to be close friends. We used to do things together. We used to go to each other's houses, have play dates and all that kind of stuff. He was in stream one now in higher Chinese. I was bad Chinese. We didn't hang out anymore. Ten-year-old Nate learned a lesson. Ten-year-old Nate learned that if I don't achieve, no one will love me. No one will see me if I don't achieve. And so I built this value into my life where I needed to achieve. And that's what gets me scared when I'm sitting around tables where I don't have control because I don't know if I can achieve what people think and expect of me or truly what I expect them to expect of me. Who really knows the reality? Well, inside that world, you think that you are king. and You think that you know it all. And the sad thing is that as I hold on to this value of achievement, 
I started to realize that I wasn't always going to get it right. And so there were moments of failure. Let me read to you some questions that I asked myself, and maybe you will connect with these questions. Because I asked myself this, why am I not there yet? And if it was an area where I had worked on and worked on and worked on, so why do I keep failing at this? Why am I still struggling with this? Am I not past this yet? Maybe I'll never change. Maybe this is the way I'll always be. So many people I sit with have those exact same questions. And they don't think that they can ever change because they've evaluated themselves as dysfunctional, broken, unlovable. No one sees me. Or maybe it's better that no one will see me. When we hold on to a value of achievement, even though we can't really achieve anything and everything that we dream of, it begins to hold us back. I needed to shift to a value of growth. Where I try things and I do things with express value of growing this. Not growing this, that'll be nice. But I have got no control over you whether you rock up next week or not. I could say that you're all members and you need to, and some of you would actually listen to that. But really, I have no control over whether you rock up or not. What I can control is whether I'm growing or not, whether I'm still open or not, whether I'm still staying in a place of health or not. You see, in Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, it says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize. This is such an important word because empathy isn't the same as sympathy. God doesn't look at you with sympathy. God doesn't look at you with pity in his eyes. God doesn't look at you and go, you lower than person. Why are you such in a desperate situation? He doesn't look at you as though you are second class, third class. He doesn't look at you with those eyes. He looks at you with eyes of empathy. What does empathy mean? It means I see you. I know you. I understand where this is coming from. It says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, but one who was tested, tempted in every way. But yet he knew a better way of getting through it. And because he understands your faults, he is able to go, hey, I had to work through that. Come with me. And so we get to come into God's presence, to the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why do we need to do that? Because we're growing. We're not worried about whether we get the right results so that people see us in a certain way. But we are growing. And God wants us to step into that place of growth. He understands your weakness. See, the more I go through this stuff, the more I'm understanding my emotions and the dysfunctions in my life, the more when I meet with people, I can actually understand where a lot of this comes from. And it's absolutely amazing. 
Because when I understand that I had to make these value shifts and the life that comes from it, and I see someone who is struggling the very same questions that I used to struggle with, I can say, hey, I understand. I know where that's coming from. Because that was the same as for me. But I was able to work through that. And that's what God does for each and every single one of us. So we need to take the time to actually develop an understanding of these values. See, I was sitting with a, a person I was helping a while ago, and um, we were just chatting through why she was having a certain emotional reaction um, and a certain way of behaving, and, and we were trying to, to work through that and, and get to a place of health and strength and all of that kind of stuff. And so I was trying to link her into what her emotions were telling her. And it uh, took a while, and we finally got to that place where she was able to say, hey, this is, I think it's that. And I gave her a few options. I said, is, are these emotions telling you this or this or this? And she finally said, I think it's that one. I think it's that one. And then we talked about it. And then a little while later, she said, you know, Nate, before you raise this, I don't think I ever thought that I had that thought. And she said it in a way that was like, did you just introduce that to me? Was it just you that planted that in me? Or is it real? The truth is so many of us are blinded to what is going on. And I simply said, that's why it is dangerous. That's why it's so dangerous because when we don't articulate it and we don't know that it's controlling us, we continue to give it control. And so I needed to learn how to open up. I needed to learn how to trust. I need to learn openness. I needed to be kind to myself in order that I would Appreciate the growth journey that I'm on. Those are the three shifts that I had to make. What are the shifts that you need to make in order to let life and peace in? We can get the band up this morning. The thing that I realize the longer I study this and the longer I go through this is that the reason why most of us don't know what is going on is because of one emotion, one key emotion that stops us from going deeper. That key emotion is that of fear. I love this morning that we have been singing songs about fear and how God deals with our fear. I didn't tell these guys what this was all about. If we can actually do one of those songs about fear, that'd be great, Mitch. Sorry. But it's really cool because I think God has been talking to me about it and getting me ready for what he wants to do this morning. And the thing about it is that we don't go deeper because... We're scared of what we're going to find. We're scared of our lives getting interrupted. We're scared of the patterns that used to work not working anymore. We're scared of the unknown of the future. We're scared to know whether God is really trustworthy. So many of us are stuck in all patterns and all habits because of this fear. And this morning, I believe that God wants to break that. I don't believe that it will be broken in just one moment, but I believe that God wants to speak to you. I believe that he wants to have a conversation with you. And as I started my journey with, um, with Robin as a, as a dad in a, in a bit more of an adoptive way, one of the things that I have learned is that she doesn't grow to trust me without time. <laughs> 
without conversations. And so I've made time so that we can sit down and we can chat and we can get to know each other and I can understand what is going on and, and, and I can just, you know, half the time is just a bit of fun and we play computer games and chill, eat food. But other times that deep stuff, but it takes that time and that openness. And I think when we first started, there was a fear for her. It was a fear for me, let's be honest. I don't know if this is going to work. Why would an 18-year-old girl want to spend time with a 32-year-old guy? It's weird. And there was a fear there. But I'm so glad that we put that fear aside to develop something that is truly valuable and what I hope is healing and empowering and encouraging for both of us. I believe that God wants the same relationship with you. But some of you are still in a place where you need to be in control, where you're still guarded, where you don't know whether you've got enough trophies in the shelf yet, and you're still holding God away because you're scared of how he's going to react to you. You're scared that you haven't got your ducks in order. You're scared that he's going to realize that you haven't actually changed as much as you promised that you would when you were five years old and you made that boo-boo. You're scared that he's going to reveal to you that you're actually so disastrously broken and hopeless. You're scared that he's not going to accept you. Or maybe you're scared that, sure, I can get close to him, but will he truly be there for me all the time? And so we hold God away at arm's length because of our fears. If that is you this morning, I want you to know that God put me here to say it doesn't matter what your achievements are. It doesn't matter how in control of your life that you are because he knows that it's all a myth. It's all smokes and screens, and light shows, and control is an illusion. He doesn't mind. In fact, he loves seeing the woundedness. And I sat with another young person, and we were talking about stuff, and this person finally opened up about gear that was going on in, in their life, and, um, and saying all this stuff, and and um, this person said, you know, I've never really told anyone this. And I said, you know what, I thank you so much for sharing that with me. It has truly been my privilege and honor to hear that. I said that. And it is something that I do believe, truly, that it is an honor and privilege to sit with a person. And this is what this person said. So, can, you, can, you, can you say that again? Can you say that again? Because no one has ever said that to me. No one has ever told me that my brokenness is still beautiful. No one has ever told me that my shame could actually be expressed and not bring on more shame. I did not know that saying this could be in a space where I'm still accepted and loved. Some of you are approaching God in that way. You're saying, God, I don't know if you're going to accept my shame. I don't know if you're going to accept my brokenness and my sinfulness and, and the way that I just can't get things right. And God is saying to you this morning that I died on the cross and the cross is sufficient for you. It has dealt with every single shame. I have known your life from beginning to end and still I accept you. It doesn't matter what you have achieved. It doesn't matter what you're able to do for me. It is what I want to do for you. This is the gift of grace that you can receive by faith this morning.
So if that is you this morning and you're still held back by fear, let me say that God is here with arms open and he's saying, please, please let me in. Let me show you what love, let me show you what life, let me show you what peace looks like. You don't have to be in control. You don't have to be guarded. You don't have to achieve anything. I accept you as you are. Can we stand this morning? I'm going to say this prayer. And you can say this along with me. It is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe some of you have walked away from God, or maybe some of you have never really accepted God. And this morning, I want to give you this opportunity to say a prayer to invite Jesus into your life. So if every eye closed and every head bowed, dear Jesus, repeat after me. I invite you into my life. I know that you can see all of me, and still you love me. I confess that I'm a sinner and that I need you. So please come in. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.